the crisis in high-tech supply chains isn't only about microprocessors. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. seems like all the talk these days about the broken supply chain for high-tech manufacturing centers on this severe shortage of microprocessors for autos, aerospace, video games, defense, and any other number of other crucial applications. And it truly is an issue that needs to be addressed. Witness President Biden's recent signing of the Chips and Science Act, authorizing billions of dollars of support for American manufacturers looking to reduce their dependence on chips from China and Taiwan. Equally important to consider, however, is the state of printed circuit boards, or PCBs. Chips don't float, says the Printed Circuit Board Association of America, meaning that they must be embedded into PCBs as part of the manufacturing process. And the U.S. currently relies on other countries, primarily China, for 96% of the supply of PCBs. So what needs to be done? We discuss that on this episode with Travis Kelly, CEO of the Isola Group and chairman of the Printed Circuit Board Association. We'll break down the problem, talk solutions, and discuss a promising bill that could help to rebuild a sustainable high-tech industry in this country. Here's my conversation with Travis Kelly. Travis Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Bob. Really appreciate it. Travis, we hear a lot about microprocessors or microchips or whatever you want to call them. But I want to talk to you today, obviously, about PCBs, that is, printed circuit boards and their significance. What role do they play in the electronics and high-tech supply chain? Yeah, thank you, Bob. So ultimately, that's a great question and one that the Printed Circuit Board Association of America really pushes forward and advocates and educates on behalf of the microelectronics industry. So to your point, a lot of the discussion has been around semiconductors, microprocessors. However, it's a broader ecosystem. And part of that broader ecosystem is printed circuit boards. So we have a saying that chips don't float. And that basically means that although you have microprocessors or semiconductors, they have to be embedded into a printed circuit board in order for it to work. So PCBs, where are they sourced and manufactured primarily? Yeah, so ultimately, the majority of the, I'll say, manufacturers are located in Asia. To give you some statistics, in the U.S., roughly in the early 2000s, so a little over 20 years ago, there was roughly 2,000 printed circuit board manufacturers and assemblers in the United States. That is now down to 145. So basically, 26% of the global market share was manufactured in the United States in the early 2000s. That is now down to 4%. So it's a, a significant a draconian view of the PCB industry in the United States. And China, by contrast, has what, about 96%? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you look at China and Taiwan, they would have the lion's share. Why did the U.S. concede the market to China and Taiwan? You know, I think there was numerous factors that drove the globalization of the overall industry. 
I mean, ultimately, most people go right to price. The cost of a printed circuit board and the fact that producing it overseas back in the early 2000s was a more competitive way of ensuring a sustainable market. So I think that had a lot to do with it was was the cost. I think ultimately, too, a lot of the OEMs and customers and overall, the demand signal is very strong in Asia, if you even look at the end user population. So there was multiple factors that really drove the decision to offshore a lot of the brick and mortar that we're seeing, not only in the microelectronics industry, but across the board from pharmaceuticals and the like. So what has happened to the flow of PCBs from their main production points in the world in the last couple of years? A lot has happened. I mean, ultimately, the catalyst behind a lot of the discussion around nearshoring, onshoring, and reshoring is that COVID-19 really shined a light on some of the vulnerabilities as it relates to the global supply chain. And once again, that that's not microelectronic specific. It's across numerous industries. But as this conversation relates to printed circuit boards and the overall ecosystem for microelectronics, what we saw was vulnerabilities of not having some of the componentry or the printed circuit boards that are necessary to have a sustainable industry within the United States. We need to make sure that not only is the supply chain trusted for the ITAR and, and DOD applications, but that it's also resilient. And that's really what was the catalyst behind the formation of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America is recognizing that we're not myopic in our view, so we're not saying that all microelectronics, particularly printed circuit boards, should be manufactured in America. What we are saying is there has to be a balance. So we're not over-indexing one way or the other. We're mm -hmm. saying, look, the right number is definitely not 4%, and the right number is not 100%. But what's that balance to create a sustainable industry, a domestic industry, whereby we have critical needs so what do I mean by critical? Really looking at defense, aerospace, medical, banking, and then infrastructure like 5G and 6G. How do we ensure we have those critical systems protected and having a resilient supply chain in the United States? So that's really what our message is and what we're focused on. Well, again, just to get a sense of the perspective and the importance of PCBs over the last couple of years, we've heard a lot about the shortage of microprocessors and its impact on certain industries, most specifically the automotive industry and even more specifically electric vehicles. What other types of products and what other industries have experienced and suffered from shortages as a result of the disruption of the PCB supply chain? Yeah, I think for the most part, there hasn't been a disruption. And that's where we're, we're going to spend a lot of time educating and advocating on behalf of the PCB industry. Because when you think about semiconductors, and you already hit the, the nail on the head, you had issues getting automobiles to end customers. That affects and impacts the direct end customer. And then, like you said, electric, electrification of vehicles and electrified vehicles were also in short supply. So that resonated with the general public. Printed circuit boards are further downstream. So most people don't think about printed circuit boards. And that's why we came up with Chipstone Float, because once again, those microprocessors have to be embedded onto a printed circuit board. So as we've been carrying this message up on the Hill, we know it's resonating. Blake Moore, the Republican from Utah, Representative of Congress, as well as Anna Ishu, a Democrat from California, co-sponsored a bill that was introduced a couple months ago called Supporting America PCBs. 
And that is the first time that a printed circuit board centric bill has ever been introduced. So we know that our message is resonating not only with government, but obviously the private sector. And that's a big step forward. We've been successful getting certain language adopted in the National Defense Authorization Act. But this new bill, H.R. 7677, further illustrates the importance of printed circuit boards from a, a domestic standpoint. What specifically does it propose to do from a government standpoint in order to decrease the share of domestically produced PCBs? Yeah, so that's a great question, because that's ultimately what we have to uh, resolve. We, we have to ensure that we have a sustainable industry in the United States. So what this bill is going to help support is it's a $3 billion investment from the government into things like R&D, brick and mortar infrastructure um, for companies that can produce uh, printed circuit boards in the U.S. So there's a direct investment from the government to the tune of $3 billion. The interesting thing with this bill, too, is there's also a tax benefit. Should a OEM acquire an American-made PCB, they get a 25% tax credit. So it's a nice pull strategy on the overall industry. So if you're acquiring or purchasing an American-made PCB, you actually get a 25% tax credit. So you have the OEMs now incentivized to acquire American-made PCBs, which I think is a great part of that bill, as well as the $3 billion investment into the infrastructure R&D and the workforce development. Again, with so much of the focus on microprocessors and the supposed solution, simply produce those domestically in the United States. I believe you're arguing that that's not enough. Why not? Yeah, that's exactly right, because ultimately it is an ecosystem. So if you look at the foundries, and and we think that's uh, the right step forward. So By no means are we saying that building foundries in the United States is a bad idea. However, the ecosystem itself is a lot more complex. So if you build the foundries, be it in Ohio or Arizona, you still have to have IC substrates or advanced packaging. 97% of that is done in Asia. So arguably, some of those chips would have to go back to Asia, be packaged, and then come back to the United States. So there's been periodicals saying that that could actually create more constraint global supply chain. If you take that example and you think about what else is needed, such as printed circuit boards, uh, not only the fabrication, but the assemblers, everything else, you have this ecosystem that has to be looked at holistically. And how do we ensure that that supply chain will be resilient and trusted? So it's a lot, the discussion has to be a lot broader than CHIPS. The CHIPS Act is a great step forward. But there has to be more than that if you're truly trying to address a root cause issue as opposed to just some of the symptoms. Other than the relative cost differential between producing PCBs here and producing them offshore, are there any other obstacles that need to be overcome to creating a truly domestic PCB manufacturing base now, increasing it well over that 4%? Yeah, so once again, that's a great question, Bob. And ultimately, when you look at some of the competition that the PCB domestic industry has, it's, it's companies competing against countries. It's not necessarily a, a level playing field in all circumstances because certain governments do subsidize their manufacturing bases. So it is difficult for American companies to compete when they're faced with th- those types of challenges. However, because of 
leaps forward in technology and automation, we are able to be more competitive from a labor standpoint. Case in point, Isola Group, the the company that I'm the president and CEO for, we invested over $40 million into our Arizona facility, which is state-of-the-art, a lot of automation, so less labor content. Now, you actually have very high-skilled jobs when you do that, because you'll have controls, engineers, mechanical engineers, and and that brings us into the importance of workforce development and what we're trying to do as an organization to bring STEM back into the schools and and really put focus on workforce development in our unique industry. But ultimately, we can be competitive in, in cases like that. We can invest in automation. Where we can't be competitive is where there are subsidies on, on raw material, right? Obviously, the electronics industry uses a lot of copper. We and, and, and our members buy copper at wholesale prices. The government does not subsidize that in the United States. So you could argue that that's an uncompetitive advantage. But I think with other levers we can pull, we can try to get to some cost equilibrium against foreign competition. The second thing I would say to address your question is ultimately, as we continue to look at a sustainable market, it has to be more than just the defense volume. When you said, well, Travis, you know, what, what are you looking for to ensure that the domestic industry is sustainable? We have to look at, once again, what do we consider critical applications? And if we can all agree, and I'm not saying we can, but if we can all agree that military, commercial aerospace, medical infrastructure like 5G, 6G, and then ultimately banking are critical sectors that we want to ensure a resilient and a trusted supply chain for, then that defense spending, which is roughly 3% of the overall PCB market, if you aggregate the demand from those other sectors, you get to roughly 26%. I think that would be a sustainable market. If we can get somewhere, get our members focused on 26% demand signal, I think you'll see a lot more investment in the U.S. as well. So you have the government investment, you know, $3 billion with the uh, PCB, supporting American PCBs Act, plus you get a demand signal that makes sense. I think you'll see the, the growth in the domestic industry. Given that you are the Printed Circuit Board Association of America, and you just referred to the America PCB, I, I take it that you would not say that nearshoring, like Mexico or clo- other parts of Central America, closer to American markets, would be a, 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 an acceptable alternative to producing in China and Taiwan. No, actually, that no, that's not right. We're not myopic in our view. So we do look at allied countries. We do have Canada. We have Mexico. Obviously, a, a lot of different countries in Europe. So we do look at advocating for reshoring, onshoring. But in terms of nearshoring, that may make sense. It's not a one size fits all. But there are certain circumstances I think that would make sense to maybe have manufacturing facilities in Mexico. Uh, may make sense to have manufacturing facilities in Europe. Because once again, there's also acts of gods, right? Acts of God. So we have to yeah. ensure that we do have continuity of supply. And I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of having contingency plans. So I, once again, we don't believe we're myopic in our views. We live in a global economy. We will always live in a global economy. But how do we ensure that we have that resiliency of the supply chain? And I think you can do that both domestically, to your point, in America. But I think you can look at neighboring countries and allied countries as well. But that's a labor differential play. And I think, are, are you not saying that the sophistication of today's modern PCB plan is automated to such an extent that labor becomes less of an issue? I mean, I know it's not no people, but it's fewer to the point where may, may labor is less of a factor in making that ultimate decision? 
Yeah, I, I think there are certain levers that companies can pull via automation to reduce their overall labor content. However, with that, you will have the higher skilled jobs like your controls engineers, me- uh, mechanical and electrical engineers. So you will see a cost differential when it comes to that skilled labor. However, in some cases, we may decide as a nation that it makes sense to pay an extra 10 cents for a printed circuit board, because not only is it a resilient supply of that printed circuit board, but also a trusted supply. So I don't want to be naive and say that we can get to an equilibrium against certain countries that do have subsidies. But I don't think that differential is as big as what people saw back in the 80s and even into the early 2000s. I think there is technology out there that can really help automate and get more efficient. And then you start, once you can get efficiencies on on the labor content, the offset from producing in Asia is is the freight to get into the, the U.S. So there are certain levers you can look at where you can get that cost differential a little bit closer to equilibrium. But I think there will always be some level of premium. But once again, are, are we willing to pay that premium for defense applications, medical applications? And I think that's where we have to get our voice around as a nation. What do we think is important? As in the case of microprocessors, and I'm sorry to keep bringing that up because that's grabbing all the headlines these days, but the point of standing up a fab in the United States of North America is a multi-year, multi-billion dollar proposition. Does the same exist with PCB manufacturing? Are we talking about a solution that's going to take years to enact? No, not when you get into the semiconductors, I mean, there's really just a handful of big players and there are significant fab, significant investment in your CapEx and obviously brick and mortar. I think ultimately where we are right now in the PCB industries, we have a base of 145 companies. Arguably, should it be larger? Yes. Will you probably see some consolidation? Yes. But I don't think you're going to see five years of CapEx investment. I think we have the brick and mortar. There'll be some expansion, especially if some of the PCB companies get into IC substrates and advanced packaging. You could see them having to build expansions to their current existing footprints. But it's not the level of investment that you're going to see with a foundry. You can see things happen much more quickly in the PCB area. And and the investment itself is less. It's not a $52 billion investment. It's not free, but it's not $52 billion. Where I think the government has to look at it holistically, though, is what is the total cost? $52 billion for chips. Let's say the $3 billion for the PCB makes sense. Now you're at 55 What else is out there to ensure a, a trusted and secure and a resilient microelectronics supply base? And I think that's really where the homework has to be done. Where are the other vulnerabilities in the supply chain? And that's what has to be focused on. Because semiconductors, yet you're 100% right. That's all anyone wants to talk about. But it is only one component in the broader ecosystem. And and it's interesting when we go to the Hill and we bring a printed circuit board, regardless of what you're looking at, you're looking at a relatively large board, let's say the size of a tablet, and you'll have maybe a microprocessor on it. Maybe you have a couple. But there's a lot more componentry. Obviously, the board itself is big. So the microelectronics industry as a whole is a very complex ecosystem, and, and we need to start talking about the industry in a much broader fashion as opposed to just one or two different components. Clearly, we need to be looking at this issue in a much more holistic fashion. But Travis Kelly, I want to thank you so much for helping us understand what is the situation with regard to PCB manufacturing at the moment, what's going on in terms of efforts to improve that situation, and maybe a positive spin on the possibilities of some early results, as well as telling us a little bit about the mission of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Bob, and appreciate the time. 
That was my conversation with Travis Kelly of the Isola Group, talking about the printed circuit board supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.